You're listening to the PK Experience, where I dive into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today I sit down with Dr. Leonard Sachs. Dr. Sachs graduated Phi Beta Kappa from MIT at the age of 19 and went on to earn his PhD in psychology and an MD from University of Pennsylvania. From there, he did a three-year residency in family medicine and is has been continuously certified by the American Board of Family Medicine since the 1980s. He's also written several books, one of which became a New York Times bestseller, The Collapse of Parenting. Um, the other books that he's written, Girls on the Edge and Boys Adrift. The Boys Adrift is the one that uh, we focus on a lot in this call today. Um, but he is extremely passionate and speaks worldwide on the issues of child and adolescent development. Um, he's visited and worked with more than 400 schools, universities, juvenile justice facilities, communities of faith, um, corporations, community groups, parent groups. He's appeared on the Today Show, CNN, NPR, PBS. Um, he's you know, off, obviously um, a very highly sought after expert when it comes to matters of uh, optimal child development and adolescent development. So uh, it is a pleasure and honor to have him on the show today. I would love to hear what you think about the call. So please leave a comment uh, when you can. And uh, without further ado, let's dive into the call. Here I am with Dr. Leonard Sachs. All right, I'm here with Dr. Leonard Sachs. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Um, this is this is the stuff that you've been working on. The the focus that you've had in the last you know many many years has been something that I'm also very passionate about, and I'm very much looking forward to this interview because um, of your expertise in this field. For those that don't know who you are, if you could just give a brief overview of of your background, your education, and and your field of study. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I attended public schools uh, in Northeastern Ohio, K-12. through I earned my undergraduate degree at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, then I earned a doctorate in psychology as well as a medical degree at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I did a three-year residency in family medicine. I have been a uh, family doctor for 30 years. Uh, I launched a practice in Montgomery County, Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C., and saw patients there for 18 years. I am now in Chester County, Pennsylvania, sold my practice to my associate, actually took five years just to, uh, after that and visited schools and, and met with parents and tried to talk to elected officials, which turned out to be a big waste of time. Um, and uh, then returned to clinical practice uh, in 2013 uh, here in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Uh, so and I'm still going around and visiting schools, but I'm I'm back to being a doctor full time as well. Well, and you've you've authored several books, of course. Um, uh, the one I really want to talk to you a lot about today is the one called Boys Adrift. Um, can you, uh, well, first of all, before we kind of get into that, how did you how did you get into this particular field of study? Why why relationships? Why genders? Why boys and girls? All right, so it came right out of my experience as a family doctor. So as I mentioned, I launched this practice in suburban Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C., back in 1990. And throughout the 90s, you know, I'm getting to know all these families, and um, family after family after family, the daughter's working hard, and she's work getting straight A's, and she's doing all these activities. And her brother is a goofball who's, who's staying in his bedroom playing video games. 
I was like, wow, what is it about suburban Maryland that the boys are such losers? Because when I was, uh, you know, attending school in Northeastern Ohio, you know, I remember at my public high school, Shaker Heights High School, at the honors assembly, I remember, uh, let's see, Andy Borowitz was the editor-in-chief uh, of the school newspaper. Incidentally, he went on, he's had a very successful career as a writer. He writes a humor column for the New Yorker magazine called The Borowitz Report. Uh, the editor of the yearbook was a boy. The valedictorian was a boy. The editor of the poetry journal was a boy. Like, all the kids on the assembly, at the honors assembly, were boys. And my high school still has a... Uh, so, so anyhow, so that's where I'm coming from. I, you know, in the 1970s, boys were greatly overrepresented among the kids who were outstanding students. So now, 15, 20 years later, I'm in Maryland, and the boys are underrepresented. Same family, the daughter's working hard, doing well, and the brother's a goofball. So my first thought is, what's wrong with suburban Maryland? But then mm -hmm. I, I look back at... I got in touch with my old friends from my hometown in Shaker Heights, Ohio, turned out the same thing had happened there and is continuing to happen there. I mean, my high school that I attended, uh, the editor of the newspaper is a girl, the editor of the yearbook is a girl, the valedictorian is a girl. Uh, now, look, it's great that girls are doing better, but why didn't we plateau around 50-50? Why are boys now greatly underrepresented? among those graduating from, well, uh, in every academic domain. And of course, in, in uh, Boys Adrift, I present the evidence showing you look at test scores, who's taking advanced placement exams, who's graduating from college. Uh, last year, women outnumbered men among graduates of four-year college in the United States, 57-43. But when you look at who graduated with highest honors, women outnumbered men three to one. Women are now greatly overrepresented among those graduating with highest honors. Forty years ago, men were more likely than women to graduate from college, but men were greatly overrepresented among those graduating with highest honors. Forty years ago, women were more likely than men were to drop out of a four-year college, often because they were getting married and having a baby. Today, young men in the United States are twice as likely as their sisters are to drop out of a four-year college. And it's not because they're staying home to raise baby. It's more often because they're going back to their parents' home to play video games in the basement. Hmm. So, so, again, I began to encounter this firsthand as a family doctor uh, back in the 1990s, and I began to wonder, why is this? And hmm. that led me to write my first book, Why Gender Matters, and my second book, Boys Adrift. Hmm. Uh, could you tilt your camera a little bit so you're not just a head cut off? There you go. <laughs> um, so how did we, how, what's the answer to that? How did we get yeah. to this point? Okay, so uh, in early 2000s, I set out to try and understand what happened. Uh, 30 years earlier in the 1970s, boys were overrepresented among those doing well at school, doing well in early career. As of the early 2000s, and even more today, boys are underrepresented. So the question, first question comes to mind is, all right, what changed between, say, 1970 and 2000? And the first thing that popped into my head was uh, single moms. Uh, in 1970, the majority of American boys were raised in a home with their biological father. By the 1990s, there were now a great many American boys who were being in a raised raised a home without their biological father. So that's the first thing. I, I didn't know what the explanation was. I, I mm -hmm. consulted with researchers and read the papers and, re and looked into the research. That was the first hypothesis I looked into, but it turns out not to be accurate. 
turns mm-hmm. out that single parents and the rise in boys not being raised by a biological father is not a major factor, which was a surprise to me. Uh, and when I speak to parents to explain this, because again, a lot of people assume that you know it's not having your father in the home that's a big difference. I give the example of Barack Obama. So Barack Obama was not raised by his biological father. And he turned out to have a very successful career. Whatever you think of him, he, <laughs> he was president of the United States, which yeah, you know, uh, is, is you know pretty good standard of accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, he has a half-brother who was raised by his biological father. And his half-brother is, to put it bluntly, a nutcase. He's been in and out of psychiatric hospitals. He can barely hold a job because his biological father was abusive. Hmm. And it turns out that being raised by an abusive father is worse than not having a father at all. Mm -hmm. So I really began to dig in the research and consult with the researchers and the anthropologists and all. And that led me to write my book, Boys Adrift. The subtitle is The Five Factors driving the growing epidemic of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men, really none of which I anticipated when I set out to do this work uh, around 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it's an epidemic. Why, other than just the fact that girls are doing better, that the gap is, is growing, understandably that's, that's an issue to, to look at societally, but why would you consider it? an epidemic. Okay, so I actually am careful to define the term epidemic. I'm a medical doctor. I know what the word means. Epidemic means that you're seeing a problem in numbers that are much greater than would be expected on a normal basis. Mm -hmm. So look, there's always been some unmotivated boys. That's, That's not a uniquely new phenomenon. But it has become much, much, much more common. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the question. Why this explosion? And I think it's fair to use terms like explosion in the proportion of young men, for example, who are not working and not looking for work. And again, in my book, Boys Adrift, I present the numbers. We've got good numbers. In uh, 1970, it was very rare to find uh, an able-bodied man, 25 to 34 years of age, not working and not looking for work say, living in his parents' basement, able-bodied man, not working, not looking for work. That was very rare in 1970. It is common now. In Mm. some states, one in five young men are not working and not looking for work. Their sisters are out there working a job. The brothers are not. There's a huge gender difference on that Mm because people say, oh, it's the economy. The economy is really tough. Well, it's tough for young women too. They don't get any, you know, discounts on their, on their uh, apartment rental because they're female. And yet the young women at some of the most striking work on this was done by professor Judy Kleinfeld at university of Alaska Fairbanks. Cause other people say, Oh, it's decline in manufacturing. You know, young men just using their muscles can't earn good money anymore. That may be true in the lower 48, but it's not true in Alaska. It turns out in Alaska, if you've got a strong back and you're willing to work, you can make great money uh, taking care of the pipeline. There's a lot of manual labor jobs in Alaska that pay very well. So uh, Judy Kleinfeld interviewed young people, people in their early 20s across the state of Alaska. And the young man is living in his parents' home 
And she says, well, what's your plan for the future? And I'll say, like, <coughs> sorry about that. No worries. I'll say, uh, well, I'm going to marry a rich woman. He'd say, and she'd say, okay, that's very funny. Do you have anything more serious in mind? Then she talks to the young woman, and she says, well, I'm living in my parents' home. She's interviewing young people living in their parents' home. And the young woman says, well, yeah, but, you know, I'm working towards my degree, and I'm interning at the nonprofit, and, and I, in five years, I hope I can, you know, be out. And then she, Judy Kleinfeld follows up with these people five years later, and hmm. the young woman has done it. She's got her degree. She's moved out. She's earning her own way. The young man is now 27 years old, still living in his parents' basement. So there's a huge gender difference that cannot be explained based on the economy. It comes down to young women are now motivated and their brothers are less likely to be motivated. So mm -hmm. that's the question. Why is that? That's the question mm -hmm. I try to answer in my book, Boys Adrift. What you're saying seems to fly in the face of the media narrative that seems so overwhelmingly the opposite, that girls are struggling, girls need help, we need to support our girls, 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 girls. Uh, I have a son and a daughter, so I am all for you know, girl power and, hey, like, open, go as far as you can go and I'm going to help push you as far as you can go. Like, I, I don't want to be an impediment at all to my daughter's success. How does the media get it so wrong? What the media hasn't gotten it wrong. Let me say that. I am very sympathetic to what you just said, that girls are struggling. I wrote another book called Girls on the Edge uh, because there has been an explosion in anxiety and depression among American girls. And uh, so a great example is Madison Halloran. And I give her as an example because we know so much about her. Her life is so well documented. Outstanding student at uh, Northern Highland High School in, in uh, Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, statewide champion in the 800 meter. Uh, led her soccer team to the state championship. As I said, very good student. Lots of friends. Uh, is recruited to go to the University of Pennsylvania to run track. And after, in January of her freshman year, commits suicide. Hmm. That's happening, and that's happening much more often with young women than it did just 10 years ago. The rate of anxiety and depression among American girls is exploding in a way that we're not seeing for boys. Boys are adrift. It is now very common to find high school boys, college men, who are spending all their free time in their in their bedroom playing Fortnite and masturbating over pornography but they're perfectly happy you talk to those boys and they're like yeah this is great uh they're not anxious they're not depressed their parents are going berserk but the boys themselves are having a great time uh, their sisters though are anxious and depressed nobody is a winner here and you have to be very careful not to fall in what i call the gender wars the yeah. united states is a deeply divided country and yeah. in the united states more than any other country and i've spoken on this topic in mexico canada australia new zealand england scotland germany italy uh, switzerland and spain i can tell you the united states is the most divided country on this topic in the united states you got people who are left of center, who are usually Democrats, who think girls are disadvantaged and we should be helping girls. Uh, and anyone who's worried about boys is either an idiot, a Republican, or both. We got people on the right of center who are 
more likely to be concerned about boys and who thinks we need to be uh, doing some kind of intervention to get boys moving. And they fight each other about who is, who is more deserving of our attention. And they're both wrong, and they're both right. right. Yes. Girls are struggling. Boys are struggling. But they're struggling in different ways. And if yeah. you don't understand those differences, you're not helping anybody. Don't let anyone. The first question reporters is, will often ask me, because reporters love this, this argument, this uh, MSNBC versus Fox News. That Reporters love that stuff. And, and one of the first questions reporters will ask me, they'll say, who is being harmed more? And I'll say, wrong question. wrong question. Both girls and boys are suffering, but they're suffering in totally different ways. If you look at who the rate of anxiety and depression, you'd say, oh, girls are suffering more because the rate of anxiety and depression has soared in the last 10 years for girls, and that's not true for boys. But then you look at, okay, where's the gender gap and who's taking um, AP English, AP Spanish, AP French? Who's graduating from university? Who's graduating from university with highest honors? On all those parameters, boys are falling behind girls. So you can, you can cook the numbers any way you want to. If you look at anxiety and depression, you say girls are, are the victims. If you look at academic achievement, you'd say boys are falling behind. I'm, con I'm concerned about both. Um, and, and the good news is this is not a zero-sum game. You can help boys without hurting girls. And again, in this, in this Fox News versus MSNBC world that we're all immersed in now, that's, that's surprising to people. They think you have to pick a side. And I don't want to pick a side. You don't want to get sucked into that. Because if you get sucked into that, you're guaranteed that at least 40% 40, 40 of the people listening to you will hate you. Uh, so don't do that. Don't, don't let them suck you into that, uh, those gender wars that I talk about. Oh, 100%. I'm 100% with you. I, I, I just recognize the media wars or the gender wars in the media, and that narrative seems to be overwhelming. And I agree with you that um, there's this delusion that it has to be this adversarial, competitive, you know, nature when really it's, if we really understand it, it's complementary. Like, it, it, to me, it's silly. It's like, well, who's better, mom or dad? Well, they you need both. But you need both. How, how is this even a debate? It's silly in my mind. But um, so I, I mentioned my son and my daughter. I, I find that with my own kids, full transparency, my daughter's a go-getter. And my son follows that sort of, um, he's hilarious. He makes me laugh. I mean, he's the funniest little kid I know. And I love it. But there is, I mean, he's fitting what you're talking about. And so does she. To a T. Um, what am I missing as a father? What What are other people missing? And and maybe this is where we get into the five driving factors, so that I can be more clear about how to support him and support her and support you know moving the ball forward societally wise. Well, that's yeah, that's why I wrote the book. Uh, it's not a simple answer. You can be successful. You can help your son to be more motivated in school. You can help your daughter to be relaxed and um, not on the edge. But it's not easy. It's not easy in the United States. Um, so I wrote another book called The Collapse of Parenting. And the original title of that book, the title I sent to the publisher, was The Collapse of American Parenting. And the subtitle was Why Most Kids Would Now Be Better Off Raised Outside the United States. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I've visited all these schools outside of North America. 
and it's really a revelation. They do things very differently. Uh, the way we do things in the United States, unfortunately, is not based in evidence, and it's it's really harming a lot of kids. And can you give a couple examples on that? Well, sure. Uh, so here's here's an example. Um, in the United States, uh, so I live in Pennsylvania. We get snow. I grew up in northern Ohio. We get snow. When I was growing up in, in uh, just outside Cleveland, Ohio, uh, at my elementary school, Lowmount Elementary School, during the winter months, we'd put on our jackets and we'd go outside on the playground and we'd throw snowballs at each other. Uh, and the teachers would come out and join us. I remember students against teachers. Uh, and Mr. Albers was a great shot. Gets you right between the eyes every time. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Today, if two boys are throwing snowballs at each other at uh, any American school, just about, a uh, teacher runs out and says, what are you guys doing? You're not allowed to do that. Go somewhere. You can't do that on school property. You've got it. Boys doing things that boys have always done now gets you in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and the unintended result is that those boys decide, hey, school's not for us. School's for girls. School's for kids who just want to sit around and talk all day. Boys doing things that boys have always done, pointing fingers at each other, saying, bang, bang, you're dead, writing stories uh, where people get killed, you know, uh, gets you in trouble. Uh, that's what, one of the things I'm talking about in my book, Boys Adrift. Boys have become, uh, schools become unfriendly to boys. Mm -hmm. And when you visit other schools outside North America, you discover that's, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and, you know, schools I visited in Australia, in New Zealand, in Scotland, um, it is common in those countries to find that the boy who is the captain of a uh, football team, Australian Rose Football, is also, this actually happened to me. I was at Brighton Grammar, which is a boys' school in Melbourne, Australia. The head of school was showing me around the auditorium, which has these big, beautiful wooden plaques, captains of football. That's Australian rules football. Captains of rugby, captains of art, captains of music. Each year there's a boy's name and his year. And I said, captain of music, what, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, at this school, he said, every boy is required to play a musical instrument. And the boys vote. And who's ever the best and the most exciting player is the captain of music. And, and look, Dr. Sachs, last year the captain of football was also the captain of music. Hmm. That would not have, that would be very unusual in the United States to find that the boy who's the captain of the football team was also the captain, the, the best musician. It, it, mm -hmm. In the United States, it's almost impossible because the orchestra rehearses after school, which is the same time that the... Uh, football team uh, practices. Uh, you can't be in, in the band and the football team at most American schools. But at, in Australia and New Zealand, it would be very common, uh, mm -hmm. especially at the schools I visited, like Lindisfarne, uh, uh, Kemmerwell, uh, Brighton Grammar, uh, Christchurch Grammar. Uh, so when you get outside North America, you realize there's others, other ways to do this whole school thing mm -hmm. in ways that get boys excited. There's nothing I inevitable about this. I, if you only read American writers, American writers say, well, it's inevitable, you know, the, uh, the modern 
21st century technology is all about communication and boys can't communicate so it's inevitable that girls are going to do better than boys and then you go to these other schools where the boys are doing outstandingly well and you realize that's all a bunch of bs yeah uh, uh, bs is probably not the right term the writers believe it they're just ignorant. They're not aware of what's going on outside of the United States. And that's very common to find people spouting off in the United States who have no awareness of what things are like outside of North America. Um, did you happen to see, uh, usually in my conversations, I like to keep things, uh, what I call evergreen so that if, you know, my kids listen to this at some day, 20 years down the road, it's still relatively significant. But that said, have you listened uh, to the, the Gillette commercial? That mm -hmm. made all the trend. What was your thought on that? Because there was one point where they yeah. said, you know, boys were wrestling, and there was a, a narrative that said something about boys will be boys, and that was sort of yeah. shunned. Like, how yes. how dare these boys be boys? Yeah, it's very disappointing uh, what Gillette <laughs> did. It, it reminded me very much of the Boy Scouts, which used to the organization that was formerly known as the Boy Scouts. Yes, uh, but without picking on the Boy Scouts or Gillette. I think a better answer to your question would be to focus on the American Psychological Association's recent guidelines on masculinity. Okay. Because Ooh, okay. Gillette it doesn't pretend to be a professional organization, and True. so maybe they just don't know better. Uh, likewise, Boy Scouts of America, their membership organization, and their, their consultants are telling them, hey, you got to be co-ed if you're going to grow. So... Let's not pick on them. Let's look at the American Psychological Association, because this, I think, gets to the heart of what you're bringing up with your comment about the Gillette commercial. Okay. So the American Psychological Association recently re released guidelines on working with boys and men. And the American, uh, American uh, Psychological Association guidelines basically say, they say that traditional masculinity is toxic. They say that the objective of the psychologist should be to educate boys and men about the toxicity of heteronormative traditional masculinity. Uh, in other words, the objective of the psychologist should be to turn boys into girls. Now, this is the American Psychological Association, which is our nation's largest professional organization for psychologists. These people have doctorates in psychology. They spend years preparing these guidelines. These are all professors at leading universities who wrote these guidelines. And they're not based in evidence at all. They're based in dogma. Uh, their guidelines are not guidelines. They are propaganda. Uh, and it is astonishing that an organization like the American Psychological Association would spend years uh, writing these guidelines and then put them out there. And of course, there was a tremendous backlash from people in the, in the real world, not in their ivory tower, saying, look, condemning boys for being boys, first of all, isn't evidence-based. Secondly, there is no evidence no evidence anywhere in the guidelines that preaching to boys about the dangers of being a masculine man is going to have any effect except to drive boys and men out of the psychologist's office and drive men out of the field, incidentally. Uh, the Institute for Family Studies invited me to write a response to the guidelines, which I did. If you Google my name and, and mm -hmm. APA masculinity, you'll find uh, what I wrote. And I pointed out that I used the APA's own data. Among psychologists 61 to 70 years of age, there's a 50-50 split between male and female psychologists. 
According to the APA itself, among psychologists 31 to 35 years of age, women now outnumber men 8 to 1. So eight this, to one. Eight to one. So <laughs> it, it's very difficult to find a young male psychologist. And if you do, I can just about guarantee you he's not a traditional man. He's yeah. not watching football on s Sunday afternoons. Uh, condemning traditional masculinity may be fashionable, especially people on the left of center, as I mentioned before, who think girls are at risk. And, and, and uh, uh, But it's not evidence-based. As I said in my commentary on the guidelines, I said, look, the guidelines seem to be based on the assumption that any traditional man is either Harvey Weinstein or son of Sam. In other words, that a traditional man is almost by de definition either a sexual harasser or a violent criminal. That's not true is the first problem. It is possible to be a traditional man without being a sexual. So I quoted Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who has thought about this a lot. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman was an army ranger, was deployed, has, has fired a weapon uh, in combat. He spent 20 years uh, with the United States Army. And he said, look, you can divide people into three kinds of people. First kind of people I would call just regular people. They don't enjoy violence. They stay away from violence. That's a person like me, okay? I don't like martial arts. I don't like to watch martial arts. It doesn't appeal to me. I'm not a violent person and I don't want to be a violent person. The second kind of person, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman calls a wolf. A wolf is someone who enjoys violence, who enjoys inflicting violence uh, on the sheep. Uh, and the third kind of person is the sheepdog, the warrior, who is going to defend the sheep from the wolf. And Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman says, among those young men, and they're overwhelmingly men, among humans who, who enjoy the arts of war and, and violence and combat, men greatly outnumber women. And among those people who enjoy violence, he said, you must choose. Are you going to be a wolf? Or are you going to be a warrior who protects people from the wolves? Mm -hmm. That's a choice you must make. And he says, what we must do is work with young men to encourage them to be the noble warrior and not to be the wolf, the criminal. That's the key distinction if you're going to talk about masculinity. And I, I, long before I'd ever heard of Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, I wrote about that in my first book, Why Gender Matters, published way back in 2005. I visited a boys' school where the school counselor, a woman, said, you cannot turn a bully into a flower child. Can't be done. She said, but you can turn him into a knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. can turn the bully into a knight. And her motto is, affirm the knight. And I think that's, that's the insight that we should have gotten from the APA, which we didn't. Mm -hmm. Look, telling boys, you're not allowed to throw snowballs. We want you to sit uh, sit in a circle and talk about how you'd feel if you weren't invited to the party. That accomplishes nothing. We know it doesn't. We've got good evidence on this, which I cited well, in the boys adrift.
I would argue that it accomplishes something worse, worse than, than nothing. nothing. Yes, yes. worse than nothing. What you end up with boys who say, school sucks. I'm going to go home and play Fortnite yeah. where I can kill everybody I want to. Yeah. Uh, and people are trying to kill me. That's a world I understand. So the APA completely missed the boat, did not understand that the challenge with young men, that young man who wants to fire a weapon, don't talk to him about how firearms are bad and you should sit still and talk out your problems. That doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. Say, okay, you want to be a warrior? Stop playing Fortnite. Let's go to the rifle range. Let's see if we can teach you some skills with an actual weapon. Let's go to the skeet club. Let's see how you do firing at a moving target. Let's connect this young man to older men who are good men, who are good role models. That's what we need. Again, the APA had no awareness. They, they totally didn't even understand what the question was. I, the, that's what's frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. I, I, and I, you know, there was a time in my life where I would have looked at that and I would have classified it as some type of, uh, you know, political agenda that is filled with propaganda and it's intentional. And stuff. But, you know, I've talked to many women. Um, I've seen mothers correct their sons because they're wrestling and we don't hit and they get reprimanded. And, and I, in my head, I'm going, you're, you're reprimanding and you're shaming the masculinity out of this young boy. And yeah, go ahead. Well, I don't think you're going to necessarily, you're not going to change that boy, but what you are doing is you're destroying the parent-child relationship. So mm -hmm. as a psychologist, as a family doctor, I have counseled many families and I have been, I'll, I'll tell you about one situation. Son is sullen, defiant, and I've got mom and his teenage, uh, mom and, teen, and her teenage son are in the office together. And son says, you hate me. You always hated me. I couldn't mm -hmm. care less what you think. And mom says, how can you say that? I love you. You have no idea what I've sacrificed for you. How can you even say that? Well, years earlier, uh, this, this mom came home from work and boy jumped up. He was seven years old then. He jumped up from behind the, coat, uh, the sofa and he went, bang, 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 you're dead. And mom said, is that really the kind of game you want to play? You want to pretend you just shot your mommy? And she told me years earlier that his face did something weird and he burst into tears and ran into his bedroom. Look, when you say to your son, I love you, but I wish you didn't want to play those violent games, you know, well, let's sit around and talk. Let's, let's uh, play with dolls. Uh, what you're saying to your son, what your son is hearing is, I say I love you, but I actually don't like the person you are. I'm in love with some fantasy boy who would like to sit and play with a Barbie doll. The boy you actually are, I reject utterly. And the yeah. boy is getting that message. He can't articulate it. But he's gotten the message loud and clear that the boy I am, you despise. And so I hate you right back, and I don't care what you think anymore. I've been disappointed yeah. too many times. So yeah. what I say to parents of young boys, I say when your seven-year-old jumps up from behind the couch and goes, bang, 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 you're dead. Best practice for a loving parent, that parent should say, ah, you got me, and fall to the ground. And parents will say, oh, but I don't want to condone violence. You're not condoning violence. He's playing. And again, a big 
emphasis of my book, Boys Adrift, is that boys who want to engage in play violence are not more likely to become agents of actual violence. You know, I wrote stories when I was in school that were very violent. I didn't become a violent person. We don't have to guess. We've got good research showing that boys who want to write stories about gladiators chopping each other's heads off are not more likely to be agents of actual violence. Of course, and it's not condoning violence. It's celebrating protection. That's that energy in that young boy is he is learning how to protect. Well, and, and again, you right. want to steer him to be the noble warrior and yeah. not the evil criminal. And that's the distinction that you need to be focusing on. And the thing is, researchers who've studied boys' free play, which is the term psychologists mean when you just watch boys playing by themselves on a playground, they're creating all these stories that involve heroism and self-sacrifice. And you want to support that. And you want to teach boys, yes, you want to be honest and courageous and, yes, self-sacrificing. Uh, and that's okay. There's good masculinity and there's toxic masculinity. The great confusion of the APA, which is also the confusion of Gillette, is not understanding that distinction, but There's equating no masculine with evil and feminine with good. And that doesn't yes. help anybody. Not at all. I mean, what chance does a young boy have if that's all he's given? His only option is to become completely unlike himself or to be like himself, which, oh, by the way, is the root of all evil. Well, he, he, look, as, as that counselor said years ago, you cannot turn the masculine boy into a flower child who wants to sit around and talk about his feelings. It cannot be done. And there's Agreed. good research supporting her claim. So what is actually happening is a growing proportion of boys who are retreating into their bedroom playing Fortnite and looking at pornography because in their bedroom with the door closed, then they can be who they are. And a growing proportion of these boys say, I don't give up, you know what, about getting good marks in school because school's for girls. And you know what? I don't even care about real girls because I've, I learned in my, I, look, I can't tell you how many high school students have told me that sex ed class now is encouraging boys to go into the bedroom and masturbate. Absolutely. So many boys have said, look, the sex ed teacher said, look, affirmative consent means that you have to ask the girl before you hold her hand. You have to ask the girl before you kiss her. You have to ask the girl before you do anything else. A boy going up to a girl in a high school classroom and asking her out for a date is now considered sexual harassment. Um, in the eyes of many, because it is unwanted sexual attention. Uh, so, hey, that teacher will say, you want to find sexual satisfaction? Masturbation is safe sex, and you won't get in trouble. And this is what the boys tell me they are being taught in sex ed class. Coast to coast in the United States. No wonder there's boys adrift. Good God. Jeez. Um, do you know who uh, Dr. Robert Glover is? He wrote the book, uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy. No, I don't. Great book. Great. Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of overlap with what you're talking about. He, I had him on the podcast a little while ago, but he talks about the generational, you know, you talked about there's no good men to, for these boys to model after, to, to lead the way, right, to how to be a good man. I didn't say there are no good men. I said you have to find good men. It's not okay, easy, fair enough. but you have to find them. 
That's true. There's, so there's, I would say there's fewer amounts of model men, if you will. Would you agree with that? I would, and I would especially agree if you're talking about the culture. Uh, the, yeah. So in my book, The Collapse of Parenting, I reviewed the 150 most popular television shows in the United States and contrasted them with the most popular television shows of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. 60s, mm. 70s, 80s, and 90s, the most popular shows had good, strong men, whether it's the Andy Griffith show in the 1960s or Family Ties in the 1980s. These are men who are knowledgeable, competent, reliable, responsible. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Today, uh, American television, you've got The Simpsons, Homer Simpson, you've got Modern Family, the straight dad is an idiot. Even the Disney Channel, the fathers are clueless, out of touch, incompetent. Yeah. Out of the 150 most popular shows, I found only one that consistently portrays a father as knowledgeable and competent, and that is mm. Blue Bloods, the mm. New York Police Department uh, starring Tom Selleck. And mm. that's not even hugely popular, and it's probably going to get canceled soon. So, boy, you know, f I was a, uh, my mom was a single mom. I didn't have a father at home, but mm. I was watching the Andy Griffiths show. You know, I was watching movies with Gary Cooper and Sidney Poitier and, and Paul Newman. And so... The culture then taught you that a good man is courageous, responsible, competent, honest. There was no father in my home, but I learned that from the popular culture. Mm -hmm. A boy today watching The Simpsons or Modern Family or the Disney Channel will see no such man. Instead, he will see fathers who are incompetent, clueless, and out of touch. Correct. Uh, I wish I'd, I'd meant to, I made a mental note and I forgot to bring it up, but I, there's a side-by-side -side comparison that I have where I show, um, I wanted to show my son some of the shows that I used to watch. And I used to watch cartoons when I was a kid and there's the famous cartoon, the Transformers. And so I looked for it on Netflix and I found the, the modern day Transformers, but they also had some of the old ones. And so I looked at two random episodes and one of the old Transformers talked about how Optimus Prime, the good guy, was would sacrifice his life to save everybody for evil. It was, it was that kind of, that was the description of the show. Mm -hmm. The modern day one was how the, how the transformer learned to be a robo uh, babysitter for the robo baby. And I'm like, mm -hmm. like that's, there's no, there's no model. There's no encouragement. There's no right. inspiration for these young boys. Um, okay. Well, it seems like we're on the same page on that. So you mentioned in boys adrift, cause I, I want to make sure that we get into some of this as a father. I'm, I'm wanting to better understand the five driving factors that are, uh, that are causing this. And then what are some of the ways that we can show up in a better way to better support both moms and dads to better support our sons? Well, we talked briefly about school and how schools become unfriendly to boys, uh, boys doing things that boys have always done, writing violent stories, drawing a picture of a weapon can now get you in trouble at school. Yeah. But you know, and when I speak to teachers, I, I, you know, I do workshops for teachers about sharing what I've learned. I've visited over 400 schools now over the last 18 years. You can make a school boy friendly without making it unfriendly to boys and it costs nothing. Okay, girl. Yeah. Uh, but when I'm talking to parents, look, the parent has no authority over what happens at school. When I speak to parents, I say, look, you just have to find a school that's friendly to boys. You can find them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and I, I talk in the book about what that means and what you should look for. But there are other things where parents are totally in control. Video games, 
is a major factor driving this growing epidemic of unmotivated boys. And, you know, I've gotten letters and emails from boys who, who have been assigned to read the book in school, and, they, and they'll say, that book's totally ridiculous. We're incredibly motivated to get to the next level in Grand Theft Auto. We just don't care right. about Spanish. Why should we care right. about Spanish? And the boys right. have a point. Video games have shifted motivation away from school into the virtual world, the world of the video game. And again, mm -hmm. a lot of parents don't get this because video games have changed so much. If, if uh, a parent hasn't played video games in the last 10 years, and a lot of parents haven't, when they think of video games, they're thinking of Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or Pong, they have no concept of what Grand Theft Auto, what Call of Duty, what RDR2 or Fortnite is really like. And I tell them, you, look, you got to sit with a teenage boy and watch like, these games played by someone who knows what they're doing. They're incredible. I mean, RDR2, Red Dead Redemption, it's awesome. I mean... <laughs> You can spend 100 hours playing that game. You mm -hmm. have to spend time training your horse. And if you don't, your horse isn't going to behave. And mm -hmm. you're going to be thrown off your horse in the gunfight. And it's, the physics are so realistic. I mean, it's like being there. Mm -hmm. I'll say to parents who've never done this, I'll say, look, imagine the best James Bond movie you ever saw. Except instead of watching one actor pretend to kill another actor, you are there and they're shooting at you. And furthermore, you know, James Bond is actually a very unrealistic movie because James Bond can never die. He is immortal. No matter what, he will never die because they don't mm -hmm. want to end the franchise. <laughs> so you know he'll never die. But when you're playing the game, you can die. You will die. You'll probably die 20 times before you succeed and win the game. And if you've got a 5.1 surround sound with a 200-watt subwoofer, when the mortar round lands close to you, the books on the shelves will fall off the shelves onto the floor. It is, it's really well done, and it's realistic. And, you know, you're playing uh, Call, uh, Call of Duty World War II. My gosh, it's the beach at Normandy. It's yeah. it's incredibly realistic, exactly. and 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 you can save lives and you can kill the enemy. And so these boys are spending forty hours a week. Twenty hours a week is not unusual. Three hours a day for an American. So I was speaking to parents in Houston, and a police officer was in the audience. Uh, his name is Damien White. He's given me permission to share his name. Uh, and he came up to me afterwards and said how he responded to a 911 call at 6 in the morning. Uh, Mom called 911 because she couldn't get her son out of bed. I said, are you kidding me? You responded to a 911 call about a boy who wouldn't get out of bed? He, do they do that? He said, yes, it's a policy department. We respond to every 911 call no matter what. So he comes to the house, goes in the boy's bedroom. He's a uniformed police officer with a, with a pistol. <laughs> And he says, see where this is going. Son, get out of bed. And the boy says, nah, I was up all night playing video games. I'm going to sleep in today. And the officer says, son, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Now, get out of bed. We're going to school. And he drives the boy to school in the squad car. And on the way to school, this mom's a single mom. He says, he says son, I'm your daddy. And I gave your mom my card and my cell phone number. And I told her to call me if you ever pull a stunt like this again. Mm. and she better not call me. And the boy said, what's going to happen if she calls you? And the officer said, sorry about that. Boy said, what's going to happen 
if she calls you. And the officer said, he repeated himself. He said, she better not call me. And I've been in touch with him. And this was, uh, I've been, I've been, more recently, he said, she's never called. So hopefully that had a good effect. But again, a lot of parents are incompetent. And boys are staying up past midnight trying to win at Fortnite. Girls are staying up past midnight uh, photoshopping their selfies for Instagram. And, and all these kids are sleep deprived. And I, I encourage parents, look, you've got to do your job. You've got to limit how much time your son is spending on video games. Look, your son wants to play a game where he's pretending to shoot people. Turn off the screen. Join a skate club so he can handle an actual weapon. And be in the company of older men and, and be, become part of a community that bridges generations. There's skeet clubs all around, and parents don't even know about that. And I have had mothers who will blanch with horror, who will say, oh, I don't want him firing a weapon. Mm-hmm. Say, it's skeet club. They're killing a clay pigeon. <laughs> so say, no, 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 but I don't want to condone violence. Huh? Yeah, but your son is playing Grand Theft Auto. Do you have any clue what's going on in that game? Yeah. Uh, turn off the device, engage your son in the real world. You can do this. And I share, and again, a voice adrift is all about stories about parents who've done this. Mm-hmm. You can change. Your son can change. You can engage him in the real world. It's way better for your son to be shooting clay pigeons in a ski club with boys and men than be sitting in his bedroom trying to shoot imaginary enemies in Fortnite. It's a great point. And, and even as simple as that is, there's legitimate danger. You need to keep the gun pointed down, Rage. There's yeah. responsibility there. There's it's the real world. It's the real world. And so, yeah, I could see how a young boy would, would feel good about coming away from that, that, that they instilled a trust in me to yeah. properly handle this. And, yeah, I can see how that would, would help push him forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that with my son. Um, what are some other ideas? Do you have any other uh, tips and, and, and ideas that, fathers, mothers can do to help their Well, one that, you know, as I mentioned, I've spoken in many countries around the world as well as across the United States. A topic that's very popular outside of North America is endocrine disruptors. So I want to mention that. The testosterone levels of American men have fallen by half over the last 60 mm-hmm. years. The sperm mm-hmm. counts of young, Amer- of young American men have fallen by more than half over the last 45 years. Why okay. is this happening? It's happening yeah. because of man-made substances in food, in drink. That plastic water bottle is made of polyethylene terephthalate. That, that clear plastic leaks antimony and diethylhexyl phosphate into the water, meaning when you drink water out of a plastic bottle, you are consuming substances that act in your body like female hormones. Hmm. What's the consequence of children and teenagers consuming water from plastic bottles, soda from plastic bottles, foods and beverages that are filled with these endocrine disruptors? Well, it makes a big difference whether we're talking about girls or boys. All these substances act like female hormones. Their effect with girls is an acceleration in the onset of puberty. Uh, girls go, more than half of American girls have now begun puberty prior to reaching their 10th birthday. There's a major wow. focus in my book, Girls on the Edge. Girls going through puberty earlier greatly increases the risk of anxiety and depression. What are the risks for boys? When you expose boys to endocrine disruptors, you lower testosterone levels. 
And it turns out that boys, but not girls, rely on testosterone for drive and motivation. Of course. And when you drop testosterone levels, you end up with boys who are perfectly happy to stay in their bedroom. And parents will say, don't you want to go to the dance and, and be with girls? And boys will say, nah, I'd rather stay home and play Fortnite. And the dads are stunned because when we were that age, we wanted to be with actual girls. Yeah. But it is common, very common today, to find young men who would rather be in their bedroom alone with their screen rather than go to the dance and try and meet a girl. For sure. What, um, how do you navigate that? What, it's very, what very easy. Uh, so in, it's, it's astonishingly easy. Don't drink water out of a plastic bottle. If you want to carry water with you, great. Pour it into a steel canteen from your tap. Tap water is much safer than bottled water. Again, most Americans don't know that. I present all the evidence in that chapter of Boys Adrift. I carry a steel canteen with me. Buy things bottled in glass rather than plastic. It's not difficult. It doesn't cost much. Never microwave in plastic. You want to make, you got your frozen vegetables, don't microwave them in the plastic bag. Cut off the plastic, put it in a bowl and microwave it in the bowl. It costs almost nothing to eliminate endocrine disruptors from your life. I present all that evidence in my book, Boys Adrift. And there's a wonderful and very funny book called Slow Death by Rubber Duck. I, uh, two reporters who knew this research and they wanted to do an experiment on themselves to see, okay, if we stop drinking water from plastic bottles, we stop using these shampoos that have all these chemicals in them, uh, phthalates, which we know act like uh, female hormones, um, can we make a change? And they found in one month's time, all their levels came back to normal. One month's one time. Month. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you'll find all that evidence in my book, uh, Boys Adrift. <laughs> but the book I just referenced is Slow Death by Rubber Duck, which is a great title <laughs> and a very funny <laughs> book. That's fantastic. Uh, I know we're getting a little bit short on time, but I'm curious, how would you define a man? What, what is a man to you? So that's, that's a good way to wrap up. Uh, the fifth factor that I discuss in my book, Boys Adrift, is The Revenge of the Forsaken Gods, which is a great title, was suggested to me by one of my patients, Anders Ekloff, who's also an amateur anthropologist. So he and I were talking about all this research about primitive cultures around the world, and in many traditional cultures, a boy does not automatically become a man just by a matter of years. Manhood must be earned. And in many traditional cultures, there are rites of passage that a boy must, for example, the Maasai uh, in Africa, uh, the Maasai, to become a warrior, a man, he must kill an animal on his own and give the meat to his mother. And only then is he a man. If he doesn't accomplish that, he could be 40 years old. And he is still addressed as a boy. He's not allowed to marry. He has not earned the privileges of being a man. Many, many cultures around the world have that. In many traditional cultures, the parents make offerings to the gods to help their son make a successful transition to manhood. We don't do that. We pay no attention to that transition. And so my, my patient, Anders Efkloff, said what we're seeing is the revenge of the forsaken gods. And what he meant by that is, we don't pay any attention to teaching boys to be men. We talk about, oh, we want children to be responsible adults. 
but girls want to be women. Boys want to be men. What does that even mean? We don't teach right. them. And the result is they, they look to the internet. And what girls find is Miley Cyrus uh, and Nicki Minaj. And what boys find is Akon and Eminem and Bruno Mars, defiant and disrespectful, discourteous. We need to teach boys to be men. How do we do that? You need mm -hmm. to find good men. You cannot do this yourself. There's no enduring culture where dad does it all by himself. You need to find a community of good men uh, for your son to be with. Uh, Boy Scouts used to be a great resource. It's dwindled. There are still a few good troops out there, but the Boy Scouts as an institution has collapsed. They hired these consultants who said, hey, the way to boost your, your market share is to bring in girls. Uh, no awareness of their mission, uh, but you can still do it. And it's part of your job now is to find other good men. It doesn't matter if you're a father or a mother, you cannot do this yourself. You need to find good men uh, that your son can get to know, uh, whether it's a coach uh, or the man at the skeet club or uh, somebody who likes to go camping and, and you can go camping with him. Find a good man that your son, to, to, I, I quote uh, an, an author there who says, to become a man, a boy must see a man. Mm. Uh, there's no substitute. And that's the fifth of the five factors uh, that we used to have. Uh, the United States used to be a culture that was rich in good role models. You know, look at the, the movies with uh, Paul Newman, Sidney Poitier, Gary Cooper, uh, we don't have those anymore. Uh, we, uh, we, instead, we have uh, caricatures uh, and uh, Transformers and X-Men who, who are not real people. Mm -hmm. uh, it needs to be a real person, a person you could meet. Ideally, a person you do meet. The best role mm -hmm. model is someone your boy can sit and talk with or go canoeing with or shoot skeet with. That's, that's the fifth of the five factors. That's how I close the book. Uh, is stories of connecting boys with real men and what a huge difference it can make. Huge, huge, and definitely um, sorely missing, I think, in a lot, a lot of young boys' lives. Um, Dr. Leonard Seth, thank you so much. This has been very enlightening um, and uh, inspirational on many levels. I would love to hear feedback from people because um, I know that, you know, some of this stuff, that just, again, the narrative just, seems to counter uh counteract a lot of what i i believe and also what you know obviously what you're saying um so if you're somebody that's listening to this and you have uh, a thought or two let's let's keep that dialogue moving forward because obviously it's extremely important but again thank you so much for your time uh i'll put links to your books and the other resources that you mentioned uh below on my website but uh appreciate it thank you so much thanks again for inviting me